بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد بارك وسلم رب شح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا سبحانك لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا أما بعد I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to hear that which you and I need to hear the most I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to understand the secrets of the Qur'an, allow us to be able to practice on the uh, teachings, the commandments of the Qur'an. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make you and I from amongst those who are blessed to be able to recite it at night in, in front of Him. And we are blessed to be able to practice on it during the day. May He make you and I from amongst those who are inviting, it towards the, uh, inviting people towards the Qur'an through our actions. And may our actions speak louder to our commitment to the Qur'an than our words do. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. So we will, inshallah, we've completed last week ayat uh, 4 and 5 and 6 uh, and reviewed some of the aspects of the previous ayat as well. Just to um, go over the, the last verse as well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in verse 6, He mentioned how the Prophet ﷺ is closer to the believers than their own selves. And his wives are like the mothers of the um, believers. And then he mentioned that those who have mutual kinship are closer to one another in terms of inheritance than other believers and immigrants according to the book of Allah. Meaning that inheritance is not going to be based on just hijrah nusra like it was before, but instead it's going to be based on blood relations. And... This has been written already in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Unless someone would like to make a wasiyah and a bequest for his friend by adding something in the will besides those who are immediate blood relatives, then that is fine. As we know that is called a wasiyah bequest that can be made for a third, maximum a third. So we understand from here, first and foremost, that uh, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa is the closest to all of us. And one reason for us to, one, one remember last week we ended on um, the topic of hub uh, aqli and hub fitri and natural love and intellectual love. So our love for the Prophet ﷺ, naturally we should love him as much as we can. But if a person says, how am I supposed to love him more than myself? How am I supposed to love him more than my mother and father? It's just, you know, I'm having a hard time. Then we use the intellectual love. Intellectual love is that a person says, do you not want to go to paradise? And the answer is, of course. Do you want to go to hellfire? Absolutely not. Do you want to get punished in the grave? Absolutely not. Okay, so where do the keys of, of happiness, blissful life lie? And that individual will tell you it lies with following Allah. We'll say, okay, well, who, in, who introduced you to Allah? Following His commandments. Who introduced you to Allah? What if you were an atheist? What if you did not believe in God's existence? What would have happened? What if you didn't know He existed? So then you say, if it wasn't for the Prophet ﷺ, we wouldn't have never known Allah. Simple way to understand this. If it wasn't for the Prophet ﷺ, you and I would have never known Allah. We would have never known how to pray. We would have never known how to prostrate. We would have never known what, extinct, what makes Allah happy what, and what is the method of uh, removing His anger from, among, from us. So then from this natural way, because Jannah is for our own benefit, right? Paradise for our own benefit. So when you think about this and you come to the conclusion that it is Allah, it, that Rasulullah is actually the reason why we're going to get to paradise, hopefully, then it's easy to love Rasulullah from that, from that idea, from that perspective. 
And so that's what Umar radiallahu anhu, he said, that when he was asked by Rasulullah do you love me more than anything, you know, you have, you have, to, love, you have to love me more than anything and everyone. And, the, and Umar radiallahu anhu said, yes, but not more than myself. And, and, when, and he was honest, you know. And then Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, you know, it's not going to happen. Not, you can't, it doesn't work like that. You have to love me more than you love your own self. And then when he thought about it, he said, okay. So this is what we're speaking about. We love, uh, we love people, but we definitely would rather protect ourselves from blazing fire than someone else. Everyone, when he comes push to shove and you have to choose between yourself jumping into fire and someone else, no one will say, okay, I'll gladly jump in myself, right? Similarly, for all other things, so how did we, how are we be, uh, protecting ourselves from Jahannam? It is through the Prophet wasallam. So this ayah is very powerful in that. And then in terms of uh, One thing we understand here is that When it comes to relatives They will definitely They, 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 they um, Have a right To our wealth um, Allah has made it like that After we die So we understand from here The power or the importance that Islam gives to kinship, blood relatives. Very important. That, you know, when they say blood is thicker than everything else, that's what it's supposed to be like. That the people who are closer to you, closest to you by blood relations are the ones who inherit from you and I. So a person unfortunately may not lead his life in a manner in which he is able to appreciate and thank his blood relatives. But who cares? The Quran is clearly telling us that when you die, even if you're a sibling or your brother or sister or your son or daughter you didn't get along with, they will become an heir to you. Right? Something to think about. That's the importance that the deen gives to these relationships. Rahim is a very important part. Those people who are going to paradise are those who are going to joint ties with, the, with those that Allah has ordered to do so. Amar Allah, Allah has ordered you to have ties with your relatives. If you join their ties, then you will be granted paradise. The Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a hadith that rahim, meaning uh, being good to your relatives, will on the day of judgment, this concept will be begging Allah's mercy and, and will say, Ya Allah, so and so took care of me, I want you to take care of him. This, this aspect of being kind to your relatives, taking care of them, it's going to be given a shape and a form on the Day of Judgment. And that will speak up. And they'll say, Ya Allah, so and so was kind to me. So and so took care of me, please take care of them. And then there will be certain individuals that this Rahim will say, no, this person didn't take care of me. Meaning, did not take care of his own sister, her own brother. So Ya Allah, please don't take care of him. Let him be you know, thrown into hellfire. Um, someone who had noticed, noted an interesting thing I thought that's something to think about that you get married at the age of 20 plus 25, 30 whatever so you already lost from your marriage 25 years M- majority of the time parents leave this world before the children because they came into this world 30 years before the children so they leave the world also naturally 30 years before the children so they also, their, their life is cut short from your life by 30 years. You know, approximately. Your spouse's life, 25, 30 years. But there's one relationship that is with you the longest. And that is your siblings. 
Siblings are there, maybe two year difference, three year difference, five year difference, maybe one year difference, maybe same year you're born. They're with us for the longest. So it's best to ensure that our relationships with our siblings is good. Because they're here with us in the world longest. Think about the wife. She does not have the same genes as you do. She comes from a completely different background. Even though they may come from the same village, it doesn't make a difference. They have different set of genes. Hence, they're, they're bound to be different. But the one who has the closest set of genes to you are going to be your own siblings. People may say, my brother and I are very different. My sister and I are very different. Yeah, it's true and certain things are different. Obviously, you and your wife are also very different. You and your husband are also very different. But then we always hopefully focus on the things that bring us together, the commonalities. The commonalities that you and your spouse have, definitely between you and your sibling, you'll have more commonalities in terms of the physique, in terms of longevity of your life or, or less of that, in terms of your health. All of those things have been passed down by the same set of parents. And those things dictate a lot of the things of our life. So it's just, I guess, food for thought for myself and all of us here is what type of relationship have we fostered with our own siblings? And are they amongst our closest of friends or not? Because definitely they're with us for the longest in this world. And definitely they are, in terms of many aspects of our life, the closest to us. But sometimes what happens, due to our university studies and college studies, maybe someone goes somewhere else, or due to marriage as well, unfortunately, Ties with relatives break. And that's something that you and I need to make sure we don't make that mistake. It shouldn't be that someone comes into our life, and may Allah make that person who comes into your life amazing gift for you. But it shouldn't be that they be, end up becoming a means of us breaking our ties with our siblings. Or becoming a means of breaking our ties with our parents. Because that would be a huge loss for us in this world and the next how many people have broken ties with their siblings and their parents because of one boy or one girl they wanted to get married to? And then that didn't last much longer. And that also broke away. And then subhanAllah, they lost their family as well. I've, as one, 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 one elder one day told me a story. It's just a story, but it's a powerful message in it. He said, a guy who fell in love with a girl, and he said, I want to get married to you. I said, no, I don't want to. I don't want you to get married. He said, no, no, I'll do anything for you. I love you. This is what happens, right? person becomes infatuated. He said, I'll do anything for you. He said, what would you do? He said, I'll do anything. He said, okay, you know, she says to him, I don't like your mother. Which is, again, very common issue here. I don't like your mother. So, okay, what should I do? He said, get rid of her. Okay, done deal. He says, I want you to bring her liver to me. And the story goes that he goes and kills his mother. And he uh, brings her organ his liver, her, you know, out, her heart and liver on a, on, a, on, a, on a very nice silver platter and is bringing it to his love, beloved. And as he is running to show her, her, his dedication for her, he slept and he slipped and fell. And when he slipped and fell, the heart spoke up. The, the, that heart spoke up, that organ spoke up and said, oh my dear son, I hope you didn't get hurt while you tripped walking and running with this organs of mine towards this newly found love. When he goes to go present this platter, silver platter with her heart and her, or, and her liver on it, she starts screaming at the top of her lungs and runs away and says, you monster, if this, could be what you, if this is what you did to your own mother, what would you do to, to me? And he lost her as well. 
So this is a, a powerful story that plays out every single day on the streets of our world. People break ties with their blood relatives, their moms and dads and their siblings over spouses or over their, uh, you know, relationships, illicit relationships that they have formed. And that is a, a price, you know, subhanAllah, not worthy of paying. And a person will suffer uh, in this world and the next. It may take years, it may take decades to learn that this mistake was foolish. SubhanAllah. So it's very sad uh, that this happens so often within the world and within the community. And you and I need to make sure we do not become from amongst those who are blinded by a person who walks into our life at the age of 25 and makes us uh, break all the ties in the relationships from all of those people who came 25 years earlier in our life. So this is rahim. This is rahim. The rights of the spouse and uh, husband and wife are of a whole different chapter. And we always speak about that and that's a different chapter. We're speaking about the word rahim here. Ulul arhami ba'dhum. That these people, why are they called rahim? Because they come from the same womb. Rahim is rahma and rahim, mercy and womb. Since these, our dads come from the same womb, our moms come from the same, my mom and her sister, my dad and her his brother or his sister, they're coming from the same womb, same mother. So what do they all become? Ulul arham. Those are our close relatives. And that's why then we, um, you know, have the inheritance, share the inheritance. We inherit from one another. In, in, on the topic of inheritance, one, another thing to understand here is that the Sharia has been so particular. Usually the Qur'an does not get into the minute details of certain things. That is left to Rasulullah to explain. The Qur'an says, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا Indeed, we have revealed a reminder to you so that you may explain to them. Who can explain? You can. Who can? The Prophet Okay, my dear friends. I want you to understand this ayah real clear. Indeed, we have revealed to you, O Rasulullah, al-dhikr, the reminder. So, O you Rasulullah, O you Muhammad, you can explain to them. To be, to bayin, comes from bayan, explain. So that you can explain to them, what has been revealed to them. They don't know. Brother, these people are from the Quraysh. They don't need to take Arabic classes. The Quran has been revealed in their language. The Arabic that they knew of the Quran, you and I can spend next three, three, not three years, three lives, we won't be able to reach that. Okay? So then, what is the reason that Quran is saying, you have been, this Quran has been revealed upon you, Rasulullah for you to explain it? Because that's the whole thing. This is a lock whose key Rasulullah holds. You can take a lot of benefit from it, definitely. But the secrets you won't understand, it's like a, it's like a treasure chest. Beautiful treasure box that's sitting out in the courtyard. And the person says, this is a nice box. Let me sit on it. Yeah, you can sit on it. Let me put my meal on it and eat on it. Yes, you could do that. I need to change a light bulb. Can I stand on it and change a light bulb? Yes, you can. Use it for whatever you want. But boy, that treasure chest wasn't for that. That's just the very basic things. If you want to really get your hands in, you must open the treasure chest to see what lies in it. So the Qur'an is powerful, it's beautiful. You can, you can use it for many things. Yes, you can adorn your shelves with it. You can adorn your Qur'an with it. And like in, one of, in Egypt when I had traveled there before, people would open up a mushaf, and this was their ADT or whatever you call it, the security system we have over here. This is the security system in Egypt I saw. Is that people in the night would put a chair facing outside, facing the door of their store. And they would have a Qur'an and open it and leave it at the, at the door. 
That was his security. Meaning, you know, you better not break that door because there's a Quran here. Allahu alam whether that person when is the last time he opened the Quran and read it in his, ever in his life. But they used that over there when I, in, in my travels I had seen that. And they would use that at the doors. People have Quranic verses hanging from their houses, from their dra- on draperies and for all sorts of things. This is, uh, yeah, okay, whatever, good or bad, you know, we can talk about that later on. But that's not the reason why Quran was revealed. The Quran, as they say, is not meant to be just an amulet. Right? The Quran is not meant to be just a, an amulet or a taweez. Quran is there to be practiced and the Quran is to be studied and the Quran is to be engaged with. Where do you get the keys to open this treasure chest? Miftahu Rasulullah. The key is Rasulullah Straight from the Quran. Without Rasulullah being ex- there to explain it, you and I will never understand the depth of the Quran. So now we are in an era where the Quran is being uh, uh, presented as dusturana. The, the Quran is what we're going to live our lifestyle by. And we don't need sunnah. And this is something I've shared, I think, so at the beginning of, the, of this series. That we are living in an era in which the hadith is being pulled away from the Qur'an. And people, even in Muslim countries now, are announcing, are announcing that we, will, we must follow the Qur'an. My dear students, my dear beloved brothers and sisters, dear listeners, anyone who tells you that, you must understand, كَلِمَةُ حَقٍ أُرِيدَ بِهِ الْبَاطِلِ This sounds good, but the agenda is horrible. Anyone who says, what do you follow? I follow Quran, stay away. Run away from him the way you run away from a lion. Right? This is evil. Anyone who says to you, hey brother, we are Muslims, we follow the Quran. That is not official. That is absolutely incorrect to just stop there. You must say, I, am, I follow the Quran the way explained to us by the Prophet wasallam, and the way that it has been preserved by the earliest of this ummah, the Sahaba. You have to include all three. Allah, Rasul, and the Sahaba. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this book to Rasulullah and Rasulullah explained it and then the companions asked the proper questions and they, they understood the usul and the principle of the Qur'an and the principle of Rasulullah sunnah and then they showed the world that you know what, now here this is how you extrapolate it. This is how you take it to the next generation. This is how you, you know, you take it and use analogy and you use ijma' and you use consensus and so forth and you... You can, you can, you know, impart it and put it, place it in various different new scenarios. That's what the companions and the earliest generations did. So saying I am, I am following Quran is no good. Every single deviant sect, un, yani people who are not even Muslim, the most deviant sects from like, for example, like the Qadianis or Ahmadis, right? Or you, some of the Ithna Ashariya and their beliefs which are completely, completely un-Islamic. It's the most, you know, absolutely un-Islamic beliefs. If you ask them, what do you follow? Well, the answer will be Quran. Everyone's following Quran. But so what? What's after that? So, the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent Rasulullah to Biyan. So I was saying, going back to now where it was, that the, Rasulullah explained so many different aspects of Sharia. But when he came to inheritance, Allah Himself revealed almost a full page of it, or more than a page, page of it, like 20 lines in, in Surah An-Nisa, detailing inheritance. Allah Himself did. That tells us the importance of ensuring that inheritance is distributed based on how Allah has stipulated. It's, there's no chance here for playing around. And we see today in the Muslim countries, in the Muslim world, this is a very big problem. That people do not distribute their inheritance appropriately. 
and they um, so much dhulm so much dhulm happens mother is deprived after the husband dies uh, sisters for sure are not given their rights and when you hear the stories your heart aches to see how you know Mulana Tarajimil Sab in past I don't know recently but in the past definitely he speaks a lot about this topic because he hears it he sees it of how the women are oppressed in many parts of the world uh, because people just don't have a habit they just never distribute the inheritance properly so you don't need to you don't need it's not about whether you need it or not but all your needs are being taken care of your husband is taking care of you it doesn't make a difference this is what the Sharia has given to her she must she can donate it after, she, afterwards if she wants to out of her own will but she doesn't have to she can keep it the Sharia has given that right for her so my dear beloved brothers and sisters we need to ensure that we don't also fall into this sin one we spoke about was breaking ties with relatives especially with siblings second issue here we're speaking about is making sure our inheritance is distributed properly someone is listening to this years later he says oh man I, my, my mother or grandfather or father died and that inheritance wasn't distributed properly 30 years ago make it right before you leave this world try to fix it reach out don't say it's okay it's done go ahead if, any, if we've usurped anyone's rights we must ensure that we take care of that and all of us should have a will written and we should try our best to get all of it you know, notarized and get, get a lawyer look, take a look at it and all of the uh, ways and methods we can use to ensure that this will is safe and it is going to be put into action hopefully by the power of attorney after we pass away so we do not want that a person passes away and then because we didn't do our homework properly and because we didn't teach our children properly and because we didn't have a will done properly now after we die those who are supposed to inherit from us are being deprived because the next generation doesn't care or our siblings don't care or whoever doesn't care and we didn't do our job of teaching them creating taqwa within them or writing things out clearly so the onus is upon us my beloved brothers and sisters that we have these things documents prepared right every single day the caller of death is coming and taking millions of people with him, thousands of people with him. The angel, Malakul Moth, is coming. We don't know when your name and my name is going to be called out. It's like when you're boarding a plane. Row one, row two, row three, right? All that. You're boarding a plane. This one, that one. That We're all sitting and our, our one after another, rows are being called. I mean, if you're sitting in the waiting area, your name's going to come. Why are you thinking that? Let me just sit there. You, know, you can read a magazine, you can read a book, read a Quran, whatever. But your name is definitely going to get called. Subhanallah, if all these people are getting up one after another, one after another, the, you know, your name is definitely going to come. My name is definitely going to come up soon. So let's not think that, oh, you know, you know, when I get 70, I'll write my will. We don't know how long we've got to live. So if you haven't already done so, immediately as you listen to this talk, make arrangements for that. Get on this. Okay, now for those who are inheriting, can you give them more? What you've been given a chance is one third. You can make a wasiyah. You can make this wasiyah for your non-heirs. And you can, uh, you know, uh, give them gifts. But when it comes to our own heirs, my beloved friends, we should ensure that we follow what the deen says and we don't give one son more than the other in our will. Or one daughter or one son, etc. These type of things, if you want to give, you say, my one son is righteous, he'll spend it in the appropriate manner. You need to do so in the world. 
But once a person passes away, then no longer we have authority to do that. Is it a good idea to give up everything and die with, without anything? Well, look at your children. How are they? If a person sees normal average children that this wealth could be a benefit to them, then most definitely it's better to leave them, as Rasulullah said, it's better to leave them yani, self-sufficient than to donate everything in charity and make them leave them poor begging at the hands of, you know, begging with their hands. That is, makes no sense. Charity starts at home. If you want to give charity, make sure your children and your own siblings and your immediate relatives or parents are taken care of. But if they have their own very successful businesses and very successful professions, and a person says, now I'm old, and alhamdulillah they're okay, I've taught them, I paid for their education, I did everything. Alhamdulillah Allah used me to make them stand on their own feet. Now I want to make sure I do something before I die. Then in that case, that's fine. One thing I will add over here is the aspect of what people don't think is sadaqa jariyah. That you and I may enjoy our life with the wealth we have, but we should be smart, like we are smart with investing our money in business in this world, dunya. We don't randomly give a person who meets us in the parking lot and say, hey, give me a thousand dollars, I'll give you tomorrow two thousand. <laughs> You're not going to be probably convinced by that pitch, are you? But if someone comes from a very professionally looking company and says, We're, we have this investing scheme and you can invest in fulan, fulan, and these are our reports and this is our finances. So okay, okay, fine, this looks pretty good. So when it comes to the akhirah as well, a person should be smart. That we invest in such places that will give us high dividends and high returns when you and I are gone into the grave. Many times people are so foolish that they could have earned the highest levels of Jannah not by staying awake all night. Because we know we might say, I don't, can't stand all night in Salah. I can't pray, you know, I can't fast every day. I can't do this, I can't do that. My dear friends, but at least Allah has given you wealth and you can use that wealth after you're gone. Even you enjoy it right now. But after you're gone, you can give it in such causes that will become a means of your life in the, in the ground. But people sometimes are deprived. And so sometimes this dunya, what happens, people think, inshallah, I'll give it before I die. First of all, I wish the, the agency that told you what time you're dying, please give me their phone number too, so I can also find out. No one knows when, they're gonna, when you're going to die. So that's a foolish thing to say, I'm going to come right, I'm going to donate my money when I pass away. It's not. Number two, as you grow old, as we get closer to the death, we don't know if we will get that tawfiq from Allah. I, I saw this something beautiful, you know, once from, multiple times I've seen this in the community. Sometimes a person comes at 11 o'clock at night, knocking on the door of the masjid. By what happened? I came to put my donation in the donation box. Ikoi wakte by 11 o'clock at night, why are you coming? No, I gave up. I made a pledge in Juma. And I just got home. I don't know if I'm going to live till tomorrow. I got to make sure my donation comes in tonight. It's not Ramadan even. It's just some random day. I made a niyyah. I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I want to make sure this is out of my account. I met people who've said, um, you know, I don't know, I, 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 the niyyah came to me today. Tomorrow my niyyah might change. And I may not want to give. One is, I may not have the money, or I may die. One is, my niyyah might change. And so, I'd rather do something right now, jump on it, when I still am motivated. As opposed to delaying it to a time when I don't know when I'm motivated. So the question, second thing is, how do you know how motivated you'll be when you grow older? And you're on your deathbed. You don't know. Third thing the Prophet ﷺ said is, 
أفضل الصدقة. He said the most virtuous صدقة is to give. وأنت صحيح شحيح تخشى الفقرة. Is when you are healthy, not sick. When you are greedy, not super content. What do you mean greedy? Like man, you know, I got, I got kids in college, man. I gotta, you know, I gotta save up, or I just gotta make payments on a new house or a new car. Or, and man, you're always you're building, you're ex, you're expanding. It's not like you're 90 year old with a, you know sitting in a corner mushy like nah, but would you? Have, I've done everything when I need to in life. I'm done. I can barely swallow this. I can barely enjoy the seat. You know, you're not shahi at that time. You're not necessarily greedy. But when you're young and you're in the earning phase, you're healthy, you want more, and you don't want to give to others. And then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Takhshal faqra, this is amazing. And you fear poverty. You, feel, you actually fear that, man, I don't know, I'm not that rich if to give $100, that rich to give more or whatever. You feel like, maybe I could, if, this, you know, if I lose my job, I could probably lose everything. So in your mind, you're actually afraid of being poor. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, it's much better to give charity at that time. Then when? Then when you're at the end of your life and you have no desire, no ambition, no health. And then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, at that time the dying man says, oh, this money is so-and-so, this money is for so-and-so, this money is for so-and-so, when it never even belongs to you because guess what? You got to knock out in the next 30 minutes. And none of this stuff is going to be given to anyone. It's all going to your heirs. This is what Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam painted a picture of. Isn't that amazing? That people, they say, oh, let me wait. Why are you taking away from the rights of your kids? Why, if you know, that's not right for the relatives. You should have given it earlier when you, when it was in your hands. Now it's no longer in your hands. It's going on to the estate or it's going on to the kids. And now it's as though you're donating from their money. Doesn't that make sense? That doesn't make sense. That's wrong. You should have donated it when you had control of it. Now at the deathbed to sign off this and sign off that, it doesn't even belong to you anymore. Within minutes, it'll be gone to someone else. So these are some of the interesting things that a person should keep, my, keep in mind. That by giving in charity and sadaqah jariyah, a person is able to build his beautiful place in Jannah but by making the right decisions at the right time. And one thing that ulama have, uh, you know, we all, I've mentioned here from Darussalam as, as well, many times people don't realize that just by um, donating, uh, making a niyyah and a wasiyah to a waqf. For example, a person is passing, you know, in his wasiyah, he says, 2% of my wealth should go back to uh, a, an orphanage I started in India. Or, or 5% goes back to a madrasa started in Africa. Or 10% or five, whatever. Some amount, a person says, from one third, he makes a wasiyah. And not just say, just go to pay the electric bill. No, let that go into something that will continuously be a, a source of giving, uh, you know, benefit to people. Like a person says, I want to build, you know, a big well, or I want to dig a big well, or, or, or I want this money to start, run a business. MashaAllah, you've seen so many beautiful Muslim businesses popping up. It's making me so happy. Alhamdulillah. Just this weekend too, I came across multiple Muslim businesses that are doing very well and collaborating with one another and so forth. So a person says, okay, fine. This money I'm leaving behind, I want this to be a business, which will be 100% dedicated to serving X, y, these beneficiaries, all of these Islamic institutions. Use your mind a little bit. The way we use our mind to, to enjoy this worldly life, why don't we start using our mind while you still have the ability to do so, to start enjoying your akhirah. By making sure your investments are done properly. It doesn't have to be millions. It could be thousands. It could be hundreds. But it's just that I want to make sure I put my eggs in the right basket. 
and in a efficient manner so that my thousand dollars that I'm leaving behind as sadaqah jariya when I die or maybe much more than that a hundred thousand or a million it doesn't just get withered away and used up within one year instead that money continues to create more money to continue to create more money and that ends up becoming a means of supporting so many different beautiful works of good so this requires not just intelligence it requires yaqeen and akhirah the one who has yaqeen and akhirah he will lead a, he will invest properly for his akhirah as well so these are some points that just came to mind on ulul arham and on relatives we ask allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he allow all of us to be able to practice and embody whatever uh, things I shared. May He allow us to be the best to our siblings. May He allow us to be the best to our parents, to our children. May He allow us to take care of our relatives, especially of uncles and aunts. And if we have relatives we haven't spoken to for a long time, may Allah allow us to be able to have the willpower, the ability to be able to overlook, uh, you know, whatever happened in the past. And even if that person doesn't want to talk, may Allah subhanahu wa allow us to start fresh. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to invest our resources and our wealth while we're alive, while we're healthy as well as before we pass away in the most fruitful manner that will give us the highest returns in the qabr and akhirah. Ameen. The Prophet ﷺ said in hadith, صِلْ مَنْ قَتَعَكَ وَاحْفُ عَمَّنْ ظَلَمَكَ وَاحْسِنِ لَا Join ties with those who break your ties. This is the teachings. To join ties with the one who, who has joined ties with you, what's the greatness of that? You invite someone to dinner who invited you last night to dinner. You invite someone this Saturday who invited you last Saturday. There's nothing great about that. It's someone who doesn't speak to you, who doesn't want to talk to you, who's, who's, who's running away from you, especially relatives. And if we continue to improve and try to send them gifts and be nice, and someone who may say, why do, I become, why do I need to become disgraced? If they don't want to talk, I don't need to talk. That's all, you're right, you're not doing it for them. No, That's why in the, uh, in the uh, sixth sifat, of, in, in the effort of Dawah and Tabligh, you do six sifat, it's int- the one thought comes to my mind is number four is, is ikram al muslimin and number five is ikhlas number five number four is being kind to the muslims taking care of the relatives what's the one after that? ikhlas, sincerity and the thought comes to my mind is that <clears throat> what is the connection between these points back to back why are they mentioned after one another Allah alam but what, what comes to me in my mind is that in order to do true ikram of your relatives or of any Muslim or for that matter even any non-Muslim to be take care of his rights, you have to have ikhlas. Because if you don't have ikhlas, then when they act mean with you or they don't act nice with you, you'll say, that's it, I don't need to do this. I don't care. Why do I need to do this? You're right. You don't need to. But you're doing it for Allah. You're not doing it for that individual. That's the whole point. The whole point is, as I heard one alim, one brother said, you know, we're in Umrah. He said, to do extra seven tawafs, no, to do, people are willing to do extra three tawafs, 21 rounds of the Kaaba. They say, we did Umrah, but we want to do Nafil Umrah. May Allah take us all back soon, say Ameen. Right? They want to do Nafil Umrah, Nafil, nafil Hajj. He said, they will do all sorts of stuff, but you say, brother, you're in the haram, why don't you pick up the phone and call your uncle you haven't spoken to for five years? Ah, but that's not going to happen. He said, what's more important? To speak to an uncle, to speak to a brother that you stop speaking to? Is that more important? Or is it important for you to do an extra umrah? Or to even come here in the first place for nafil hajj? So this is how shaitan deceives us. The most important aspects of our life, shaitan, doesn't allow us to focus on that. And then, nafil you know, extra things may, it keeps us involved. This is really one of the deceptive tactics of shaitan. May Allah allow you and I to be able to clearly see 
how shaitan is manipulating all of us in the various ways. And may he allow us to be one step ahead of shaitan. Say ameen. And may he protect us from his, you know, insinuations. Ameen, Rabbil Alameen. Next ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِذَا خَذْنَا مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ مِثَاقَهُمْ And recall, when we took from the prophets, their covenant. وَمِنْكَ And from you. وَمِنْ نُوحٍ And from Nuh alayhi salam. وَإِبْرَاهِيمَ From Ibrahim alayhi salam. وَمُوسَى And from Musa alayhi salam. وَعِيسَ بْنَ مَرْيَمْ And Isa salam Maryam. وَأَخَذْنَا مِنْهُمْ مِثَاقًا غَلِيظًا And we did take from them a firm covenant. لِيَسْأَلَ الصَّادِقِينَ عَنْ صِدْقِهِمْ So that Allah may ask the truthful ones about their truth. وَعَدَّ لِلْكَافِرِينَ عَذَابٍ أَلِيمًا And he has prepared a painful punishment for the disbelievers. So in these two verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that he has taken a, a, an oath from the prophets, a covenant. The Qur'an mentions this in, in multiple places. Uh, the Quran says how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took an oath from not only the prophets but also from the various communities. What is that prophet that what is the oath that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes from the prophets? This is the pledge that you will be fulfilling the responsibilities that are given to you as my messenger. So although the covenant usually understand it to be two-sided. Basically, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the amana and responsibility to the prophets. And no prophet said, Ya Allah, uh-uh, I'm not taking this. It's huge, it's massive responsibility, but they willingly accepted it. And their acceptance is basically where they're signing on the dotted line. And they're saying, we will try our level best to ensure that we fulfill this. We fulfill this responsibility. And the, they always understood the weight of that. And that's why the final hajj, the Prophet ﷺ asked the sahaba, Oh, listen, did I convey the message of Allah to all of you properly? And they said, most definitely, Yes, Ya Rasulullah, you have. You fulfilled the amana. You are the best of well-wishers to the ummah. And you sacrificed in Allah's path. More than anything anyone can imagine. You get every drop of blood, every single second of your life, every single penny in your pocket, you gave it to the deed. What did the Prophet ﷺ do at that time? He said, Allahumma shad, Allahumma shad, Allahumma shad, oh Allah, I make you a witness to all these people. 124,000 companions of mine are saying, you did what you were supposed to do. You fulfilled your responsibility. Oh Allah, I want you to be a witness to what they are saying. So the Rasulullah like all the other prophets, understood this to be a very big responsibility. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now mentions that, oh, oh Muhammad, I took this covenant from you. And then I took it from Prophet Nuh. Why were these prophets mentioned? First of all, every single prophet, we did Nuh, Musa, Isa, and Ibrahim. All of them came after the Prophet ﷺ. Yet the Prophet ﷺ is mentioned first. Number one, amazing thing. Even though he's last to come, first to be mentioned. Number two, 
All of them, their names have been mentioned. And what has been said? Min ka from you. Instead of saying Min Muhammad. Last week or two weeks ago, we spoke extensively about how Rasulullah's name is not mentioned except for in just a few places and for a very specific reason why it's mentioned. The rest of the places is just the title, honorific title that has been, his name has been taken. While the rest of the prophets, their names are mentioned. So, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, his mention is made first, and number two, his name is not taken over here. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, I am the first human being in creation, and the last of them in being sent with a prophetic mission. This is in other ahadith as well, I'll share with you. Uh, Imam, uh, Imam Tirmidhi has mentioned, the Prophet said, on the authority of Abu Hurairah anhu, he said, the companion said, Ya Rasulullah, mata wajabat laka nubuwa? When was prophethood ordained for you? Qala, wa adamu bayna ruhi wal jasad. While Adam والسلام, his existence was between his soul and his body. Meaning his soul and his body had not even been put together while Allah had already ordained my prophethood and, and my existence. So we all have this belief that Nabi wasallam was the most honored creation of Allah and the first to be created. And his nubuwa also was all set in stone before everything else. So that's why his name has been mentioned or his, 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 uh, his name is taken over here. His mention has been made. Now what about Nuh because Nuh is known as the second Adam. Why so? It's because during the time of Nuh, he, he was sent to his nation, 950 years made da'wah. And eventually as the flood came, they all were destroyed. And he became the father of 100% only believers. So the world started up again. It was a second, you know, ex- coming of the world, if you want to call it that. So his name is mentioned. And then Ibrahim salam is mentioned is because the uh, mushrikeen of Mecca also had connection. They believed, they had, rever- they had reverence for Ibrahim wasalam. And Ibrahim wasalam was the one who in their understanding also had built the Kaaba. So they felt an affinity with Ibrahim salam. So Allah has mentioned his name. Then you have Musa and Isa. Well, they're the Christians and the Jews. The Christians of Najran and the Yahud of Medina and the various tribes that Rasulullah will come into interaction with when he arrives. So to bring them close as well. Musa and Isa mentioned his name has been mentioned. So all of these prophets have been mentioned. And all have been told that you have been given a mas'uliyah. Musa is also told that hey, you have a job. What is your job? Go speak to Fir'aun. And you're a Nabi. Musa salam, he didn't back down. He didn't say, Ya Allah, I won't do it. But he did say, I need some reinforcements. He said, I do need some help. Akhi Harun hu afsahu minni lisana. My brother Harun, he's more eloquent than I am. So please send him with me as a assistant. Allah Azza wa mentions that the disbelievers, the Christians and the Jews, especially the Jews, they knew that Muhammad is going to come 
And Allah says, how well did they know him? They knew him as good as they know your own, a person knows his own sons. A person doesn't get say, I can't, I don't know who's, which one is my son. There's 10 of, 10 of them, you know. I don't, I, I got confused. Even with the mask, right? You know your son. A lot of other confusions are happening, but not with the, with the sons. So, um, Allah says, they know, Allah you know, mentioned an interesting point. He says, a, a man usually spends more time with his son than his daughter. Daughter gets married and moves on. But a man knows his son, he's with him till the end. Allah says, he, they know Rasulullah as well as they know their own sons. Specifically, why sons may have been mentioned instead of daughters. Yet, they don't want to believe when he shows up. Allah says, يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ وَكَانُوا يَسْتَفْتِحُونَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا The Jews, when they used to battle, they used to say, we, Ya Allah, we are seeking the help of the Rabb of Muhammad. They used to take Rasulullah's name before he even came into this world and would use him in their du'as against the kuffar. Think about that. That's how much trust they had. That this is the real Prophet coming. Oh Allah, you're the Lord of Muhammad. Grant us victory over our enemies. And then they used to tell the mushrikeen. They used to tell the mushrik, the, the polytheists, that listen, لَقَدْ أَطَلَّ زَمَانُ A time has come for a Nabi to be sent. وَنَقْتُلُكُمْ بِهِ قَتْلَ عَادٍ وَإِرَمْ We're gonna kill you the way Aad and Iram were killed through the help of this Nabi. He's coming. And he's gonna be on our side. But when he came around, unfortunately, they rejected him. And he ended up becoming their enemy and they became his enemy and they were destroyed. Now this round two of this is gonna happen, isn't it? Yeah? What's round two? Of Isa alayhi salam. Everyone's waiting for Isa alayhi salam. We are too. You are too. All of us. But brother, you better be on the right side of the fence. Everyone is saying, he's coming. Yes, he's coming to protect some and to destroy some. He is coming to protect some and to remove some from this world. Make sure you are from that group that he will be protecting and not the ones that he will be destroying. So they're confused. We're waiting for Isa. But what will happen? They'll get confused with two Isas. Two Masih. Not two Isas. Two Masih. One is Masih al-Dalala and one is Masih al-Hidayah as mentioned in the hadith. What, Masih al-Dalala is the Masih of misguidance. And Masih al-Hidayah, I'm using this word, is the Masih of guidance. Who is that? Isa And who is Masih al-Dalala? Dajjal, the Antichrist. So they're just waiting for, you know, Masih. And they don't, they're not looking into the details of which Masih this is. So may Allah guide our fellow Christians and Jews for them to understand that yes, you and I were all waiting for the Messiah. But make sure you're, writing, you're waiting for the right one. And make sure when the right one comes, you're on the right side of the team, not the opposite side of the team. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. The Quran says, There isn't going to be a single person from the people of the book, but that will believe in Isa before he dies. What does this mean? So ulama say this means that before Isa والسلام, eventually passes away after killing Dajjal, then all the Christians at that time will be remaining alive, will all be believers in Isa Basically they'll be Muslims, all of them. That's one interpretation of this ayah. There isn't a single person from the people of the book, but they will definitely be a believer in Isa before he dies.
So we were speaking about the how the Yahud and the Nasara, even though they looked up to the Rasulullah, but masla kya aagaya hai? Ana aagaya Ana. Ego. That's it. Why is he not from Bani Ishaq? Why is he from Bani Ismail? That's it? Why is he not from our tribe? Why is he from the tribe of the Arabs? Seriously? That same, he's there. You'll know him. you know him. You used to take his name for years. And now he's here and you're saying, oh, how come he's not from amongst us? We're not going to believe in him. We'll fight against him. This is how much ego, what a horrible thing is. Anna, what's Anna? Anna is when a person has his ego. Dear beloved brothers and sisters, dear listeners, realize this is the worst thing that can happen to you. Is that we become a slave of our ego. That we, we say, I know I'm wrong, but the fact that you said it, I'm not going to listen to it. The fact that you are correcting me, who do you think you are to correct me? But, but you're wrong. Doesn't make a difference. You are so and so. You're younger than me. Or you are a, a female. Or you are a male. Or you are my wife's relatives. Or you're my fa- husband's relatives. Or Fulan. <clears throat> who are you to correct me? And how many people end up doing the worst things simply because e- they cannot give up their ego? Beloved brothers, ask Allah protection from this evil, horrible thing. We, we, we should realize, Iblis, the Iblis became Iblis through his Ana. That's all it was. Iblis became Iblis because of his Nafs. What's worse, Nafs or Iblis? And they say, well, <laughs> think about it. Iblis became Iblis because of his Nafs. Because his ego. He's like, I don't want to humble myself in, so, in front of someone who is made with such humble beginnings as opposed to me, I'm made from fire. So you and I need to have this ability to take the truth wherever it may be coming from. And the Prophet ﷺ, you know some, how, many, how many arrogant people will be willing to accept that they're arrogant? Do they accept it? What do you think? Never! If he says, you're arrogant, yeah, you're right, brother, I'm arrogant. Then, mashallah, that's a very good sign that he's probably not arrogant. If he's saying that. The sign of arrogance is that a person denies that. And the Prophet ﷺ mentioned this in hadith. That arrogance means to deny the truth. Nay. You know it's right, but to deny it. Why are you denying it? It's because who said it? Or I don't want to be corrected in front of people or alone or by you. I don't want you to one-up me. Hence, I'm going to deny it even though I know it's the truth. That's a first sign of arrogance. And number two, nas is to look down upon people. This is the sign. Each one of us needs to ask, are you like that? My dear brothers, yani the islah will not begin until we start asking ourselves tough questions. I'm serious. Otherwise, we're going to lead our lives. I'll be right now. You know, subhanAllah. Our soul stinks. A time will come when our body and soul both will stink. When we die. And the angels of Rahmah will be running away from us. They will not be with us in the grave because of our stinky souls. And why are our souls stinking? Because we have all these diseases that I'm mentioning. When are we going to ever fix it? You don't expect your neighbor to come clean your kitchen, your bathroom. It's your house, you have to clean it. This soul is mine. You've got your own. Every one of us has to become worried and concerned about their islah, about the rectification. Lekin we don't have time. We don't have time to reflect and to introspect and to see, am I that person that he's just saying about? That when someone corrects me, I get angry. I go into denial mode. 
I start saying, no, but, but actually I meant it like that. You just didn't understand. You know, it's very painful work that needs to be done, but it must be done. And let's do it. We're, we're, let's start today. Start right now. Ask ourselves these tough questions. Am I arrogant? Am I conceited? Am I always thinking of myself to be superior to others? Am I the one who always has to be right no matter what is happening in the conversation? Am I boastful? Right? Am I showing off unintentionally? Subhanallah al-Azim. This is so hard. You know, sometimes it becomes very apparent that someone is, has got some or many of these diseases, but I'm pretty sure that the person doesn't even realize it. So this is where, besides introspection, having a relationship with a mentor and a teacher is super important. Where a person humbles himself and says, you know, whatever you see wrong in me, please let me know. When he says it to you, then you know, better not get mad. Because if you're getting mad, then that's exactly why you need to spend another five years with him probably. Because of that arrogance. How can a person retaliate when he's being corrected by their mentor? Instead, the, 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 this is, the nuff should be zero, zero, zero. I can be told even a little kid can come and say, Hey, you're wrong. Look at you. Look at how you're wearing your dress. Look at how you're doing. Okay. Whether you're young or you're old. Badme later on you can say, Bhai Chotu. You know, this is not the way to speak to older people. You can tell them afterwards. But, you know, correct them on that. But if he, what he, the, 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 the uh, uh, correction that he made of us, if there's merit to it, we can't deny it. This is why there is fitna today in the world. Why organizations are breaking apart. Why institutions are falling apart. Why masjids are falling apart. Why houses are falling apart. Because of the ego. Anna. Who is she to tell me this? Who is he to tell me that? What kind of credentials do you have as a board member to say this, that? And instead of serving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are serving our egos. And when you start serving the ego, no, there's no way the work will move forward. And even the smallest of things will end up becoming a means of relationships breaking. And um, the work of deen break, of falling apart. So my beloved, respected brothers, I, I ask all of you to make dua for me. And I'm making dua for you. That he allows us to see the evil of our nafs. The dua I made earlier, a few minutes ago, was Ya Allah protect us from the evil of shaitan. And allow us to see his ploys. But don't think your nafs is any better. The nafs is also khabis. That's what Nabi Sallallahu said in a dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bikum in sharri nafsi. Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the shar of my, from my nafs. Nafs is very sharir, very khabis, very evil, very deceptive. Ramadan, shaitan is bund, tied away, but our nafs is still around. Look at how many things he makes us do. Where does his ego come from? It comes from that nafs. Because this guy over here inside, he loves to be pampered. He loves to be massaged. He loves to always be given a nice seat. And in order to do that, we end up serving him, serving the nafs. And we end up committing so many major sins. Though for that nafs, we need to whip it. Whip it. And when you say, um, when someone tells you, I don't, want to, I don't want to do khidmah. Many times I have discussions with ulama and other people. So like, oh, this community, so and so, he says this to me. That SubhanAllah, take this person as your muhsin. I remember this is advice I had shared with the first year students many, many years ago. But you know, it's, it's something that I had learned from our teachers. Is that when you are sitting with a classmate, a roommate, a musalli, a neighbor, a relative, that is not very kind to you. And always says stuff, nags you, or says things that are hurt, or hurtful or whatnot. Most definitely try to stop it. Try to distance yourself. 
don't befriend them. You don't try. But after having done all of that, every time you pass by, their, pass by your driveway and pass by your neighbor, he swears at you. What, for example, what should you do? You, you're not trying to, you're not, you're not doing a joint barbecue with him. You know what I mean? You're also, you know, you're trying to avoid, but he still, if he sees you, swears. And subhanAllah, I actually believe it or not, I've come across people like this in my life. Wallahi. Who I would stay away completely, but still they would swear. Every day. Every time I'd pass by, they would have to swear. So what do you do at that time? You think that such people will become, they're actually hamare muhsin hai. They're, they're, doing kind, they're being kind to us. How, how are they being kind to you? Because they are your murabbi, they are your mentor. How is that? They're, they're beating down your nafs. You don't know how to beat your own nafs. They're doing it for you. You should thank them. You don't want to cut your lawn. Your neighbor's cutting your lawn for you. MashaAllah. It's great. You don't want to shovel your snow. Your neighbor's doing it for you. It's great. So when a guy in your life, your neighbor, your relative or someone, or your classmate, your roommate or someone, is harsh with you, and you tried everything to stay away from them, but it's not working, you have two options. One is to lead a life of misery. Oh my God, my life is horrible. I want to inflict wounds upon myself and whatnot because I'm frustrated, I'm anxious, I'm depressed. And the other positive way is the way I'm sharing with you. Is to say, subhanAllah, this person is actually a gift given to me by Allah. That He, allow, he doesn't allow me to get too ahead, to get too much to my head. You know, don't allow, my, allow me to start flying up high, thinking of myself to be something. MashaAllah, He comes and swears every day. Or he, he hurts me somehow or another to put me back into my place. So when you have this type of attitude towards people who harm you, what happens? It's a positive attitude. You tried your best to stay away from them and you can't do anything. So instead of allowing them to bog you down and to overwhelm you, you give it a nice positive twist. Does it make sense? Give it a positive twist. And so that doesn't, you just move forward. You smile at them and say, Zakallah khair. As Imam Muhanif rahmatullahi when he, he said, he, he said that if I were to backbite someone, I'd backbite my own mother. Why is that? Give her all my gifts. All my, if I am to give away my good deeds, I would rather give it to my mother. Because when you're backbiting, you're giving away your good deeds. Right? So, you, if, you want, if you want anyone to receive your good deeds, it would be your mother. Meaning, you look at the back, you heard about someone who backbited you, who sat in a big gathering and made fun of you. And it hurts. How do you, how do you give it a positive twist? To say, last night, bhai, I was sleeping. I didn't do anything good. Alhamdulillah, chalo, You know, at least I got some good deeds from there. That's a positive twist. You hear someone is saying this about you behind your back. Say, Alhamdulillah, chalo, great. At least inshallah, I don't, my own deeds are not going to get me to paradise probably. But all this wholesale riba that's been happening about me, and all this jealousy that people have, and all these other things, inshallah, hopefully that will get me to, that will get me to Jannah. Right? So this is a positive attitude that all of us should have. Because I know we all have people who speak against us. And we all have people who don't like us, etc. Don't allow it to bog you down. Instead, think of it as a gift from Allah to bring your nafs down, to protect you from bigger problems, and to open up a door for good deeds for you, to receive for free. Who doesn't want a thousand good, you know, nice fudgers for free? <laughs> right? Delivery of a, a thousand this and a thousand that. But make sure you don't just allow the delivery to become a revolving door. It's coming from here and you're giving it to someone else because you're backbiting someone else. Then it'll be given away. Free load, but you don't want to just give those free loads away to others as well. You have to stop. Stop it over here and just keep on receiving. Keep on receiving. Subhanallah. So Allah Azza wa mentions that this is the 
various types of um, prophets that were, were given this oath. And Musa salam's and Ibrahim, Isa name has been mentioned to bring the Yahud and Nasara close. But because of Ana, because of their ego, they decided not to follow and instead choose, chose to become his enemies. So that Allah subhanahu Allah says the reason why I took this, this oath from the prophets is so that Allah Jalla Jalaluhu can ask the truthful people about their truthfulness. What does this mean? There are four different meanings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I took an oath from the prophets so that I may ask them that did you fulfill your responsibility of, of sharing the message to the people or not? That's the first question, first explanation. Another one. Allah will ask the prophets, how was the response of your nations? The third explanation is that Allah will ask the prophets that the covenant I made with you, did you fulfill it or not? And the fourth explanation is, Allah will ask the truthful mouths regarding the sincere hearts. Allah will ask the truthful mouths about the sincere meaning the truthful mouths are the mouths of the prophets. Allah will ask them how, what is the condition of the sincere hearts of the nation? Did they listen to you or not? The gist of, of basically the gist of this tafsir of these verses is, Allah made a covenant with the prophets that they must fulfill the responsibility of risalah. And Allah will ask them on the day of judgment, what did you do? And Allah has already prepared alima, a painful torment, a painful punishment in the hereafter. A'adda is past tense. That means Jannah and Jahannam are already prepared. And this is what our belief is. Paradise already prepared for the people of Jannah. Hellfire is already prepared for the people of Jahannam. Now, Adab has been given four different words, attributes. This place, Adabun Alim has been mentioned. Alim. Alim means painful. So if you know someone whose name is Alim, please do not call him Alim. Because you're really slaughtering the meaning. Alim is knowledgeable. Alim is painful. Right? So, uh, most people are no one's name Alim, hopefully. They're known as Abdul Alim or Al Alim, but not Alim. That's why it's important when you are naming your child, name them with such a name that it is easy for people to pronounce. And that your people, your community, and our people will not slaughter the name. If you have too many Ains and Ha's at the beginning, and, the, and if you change that Ain and Ha or Ha or Qaf to something else, the meaning will become completely destroyed, then you don't want that name. Right? Because then your kid, your child will be will be always be called a meaning that's horrible. And that will have an effect on them. Because names have huge effects on us. So let's not try our, uh, to get fancy with our names. And, and try to see that all the huruf halaqi are used. <laughs> you know what I mean? Be easy, soft and easy. Make it easy for us, for people to pronounce. So that they don't um, slaughter them, ruin them. And we're not, in a, we're not in, a, in a country where people know Arabic. Our own people, we are those who are sitting here. We ourselves don't know most of the time how to pronounce many times our own names. This is actually, you have no idea how common this is. When people share the name with me and I ask them, wait, what is it? Is it this or that? They don't know. And definitely the way they're pronouncing it is absolutely incorrect. That's what forced me to even ask them in the first place because the meaning otherwise seems so bad. Kita, how many things are we going to do? I mean, look at, that's how messed up we are. Like, we don't, we, our names are messed up, man. 
like, like, like that, this is the level of infancy we are in the matter of deen. We don't even know how to name our child. And we, the poor kid is 18 years old now, and we, we are moms and dads, haven't, haven't learned enough tajweed to know how to pronounce our own son or daughter's name properly. And obviously, if we don't know how to pronounce it, how is he going to do it? This is the condition of our deen. What do you expect about other big things? What's going to happen? Right? This, is the, this is the very first thing. When we had the first batch of first year students 10 years ago, we had one beloved Arab instructor who'd come on weekends, on Saturdays to come teach. And the first day, he's like, okay, khalas. We're going to spend the whole period today on just working on names. Like, what? You know, I was, there, I was watching him teach. And he's like, okay, well, what's your name? Every single kid slaughtered their name. You know how to spell it? You know how to write it on the board? No, I don't. But it, you don't have an Urdu name. You don't have a Punjabi name. You, don't have a, you have an Arabic name. If you have an Arabic name, you have to know it's spelling in Arabic. And you have to know how to pronounce it in Arabic properly as well. So we spent that, anyway, it was, it was like getting to know yourself day. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's how I was supposed to pronounce my name. Oh, and that's what it means too. Great. You know how blessed we are? Ask your random, uh, you know, non-Muslim out there who comes, who comes who has an English name. Hey, bro, what, what does your name mean? Huh? He will, he will be shocked. Like, what kind of question is that? Wait, your, your, your name has no meaning to it? So I wonder how much meaning your life has then. Right? So this is what we're talking about over here. Our de- we are not like that. We have beautiful names. We're supposed to have beautiful names. Do you know what the Sahaba would do? I'm talking about the Sahaba. The Sahaba would name their kids. The junior Sahaba would name their kids after senior Sahaba. Why? Because, not because of the name meaning, but rather because of the accolades and the huge, uh, you know, uh, 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 success stories and huge khidma of deen that those elder sahaba did, that the junior sahaba would say, I want you to become like Abdurrahman ibn Auf or Abu Bakr, or I want you to become like Abdullah Mas'ud or, you know, whoever else. And so they would name, they, although they're from the same generation, they're sahaba, but they wanted their kids to become like the leaders. So that's what you and I should wish as well. Although, it's, you know, you, the, the sahaba are not just Abu Bakr and Umar, there are many. So if we read the stories of them, and we feel like, oh my God, I want my daughter to become like this one. I want my son. Kitna sari mehnat jati hai, Allah. The wedding season is here. Look at the wedding cards that we receive. Sometimes say, should I do wuzu before I open it or what, you know? You know what I'm saying? Because the wedding card itself is, is like so beautiful, muzayyan, and so gorgeous. It like, you feel, you feel shy to open it without wudu. It looks so nice. How much effort is going into the font and into the flowers into the in all sorts of stuff we read it and we throw it how, how many of you have kept last year's wedding cards and the year before right then if you do then you got another problem we got to come speak after after the talk like, what, what's wrong with you why are you keeping all the clutter in your house but most of us took a chabai put it in a google calendar throw it in the garbage that's it look at how much effort is going into preparing that wedding card that's just a card and then it's just not one card. They have separate one for Mendi, one separate one for Nikah, separate one for Walima, separate one for Patanikya, all sorts of stuff. This is where the effort of the Ummah is going. And you say, how, you don't think if you have a child, we should read about the stories of the Sahaba and say, man, I'm impressed with this Sahabiyah. Great. I learned about her. I want to name my daughter after her. So much effort in baby shower, baby clothes, baby this, baby that. How about make an effort on where it counts, where it's worthwhile. And that is getting to name them a proper name. When are we going to wake up? 
We're never going to wake up. We have so much work to do. Seriously. So far away from the deen, I beg Allah Azza wa that He wakes up this sleeping ummah. And He allows us to fo- start putting our focuses and attention where it really matters. You know, spending the whole uh, day making some beautiful little meal. You know, nice little cookie or a nice little cupcake and a nice little patanika, whatever. I enjoy these things, fine. But that's not where you're wasting your time, doing that stuff. Put your effort into where it needs to be, which is the tarbiyah of your children. Tarbiyah of your children is where it needs to be. All that other baking stuff and cooking and grilling and, and lawn and whatnot, you can hire someone else to do that. You can buy it. But what you, you and I need to do as moms and dads, we need to focus on our kids. You cannot buy tarbiyah from the street. You cannot buy tarbiyah from the masjid either. Don't expect you send your kid to Darul Salaam Khalas, he can come out refined. It doesn't work like that. He will only become, uh, come out as refined as you are at refined in your own home. It's a team effort. But there's no madrasa in the masjid in the whole world. That will you, that will you throw in an unrefined child and he comes out as a waliullah. If it, you know, if it was, we'd all go there. We'd all be sent by our parents there. But that's not how it works. So the, the, uh, the adults from amongst us need to start utilizing our resources in the right places. This summer is coming. Make sure this summer that we don't waste our time. Kitni dafa, people tell me, I'm going for vacation. By Kidajara, I'm going to XYZ country for one week, for two weeks. And I tell them there's a retreat coming up. But that, co- that conflicts with our, ret- our family vacation. This is where parents have to make a proper decision. To say, I already had my fun. But you're not a 15-year-old. You're a 45, 50-year-old. Kitna mazak, tata, enjoyment. How much you gonna do? You've done it. You're done. Now, it's your children's time. You're telling me you're going to ruin your children's opportunity to learn the deen because of some random vacation that you want to do every year? I don't have a problem with vacation. But make sure your vacation time does not contradict with deeny programs in our community. That doesn't contradict with deeny programs anywhere in the country that you want your son and daughter to go. Just like you would not pull them out of medical school to go for some random hiking trip. Similarly, do not pull them out of, for example, any deeny programs, summer programs are happening because you have this wedding that's taking place overseas and requires you to be there for four weeks. If you have to go and you want to lose a couple hundred thousand dollars from your job, go ahead, it's up to you, do whatever you want. But don't do that for your kids. Your kids don't need to be there overseas one month attending wedding after wedding. They need to be studying the deen over the summer. That is what the moms and dads need to now become mature. It's, it's the truth what I'm saying, you know it. That parents, they, they start following their own shahawat their own desires of enjoyment, and they make their kids pay the price because of saying, oh, I want to have a vacation, so my kid is also going to suffer. I'm, I'm saying it's suffering. Yeah, you're right. He's not going to think he's suffering. He's a kid. He's happy not to be in class. He's happy not to be studying the deen. He's happy not to be in the masjid. What does he know? But you as a mom or dad, and I as a parent need to make that decision to say, no, what's best for my child? We have this retreat coming up in two weeks. All the, every single relative of yours should be here. Every single uncle, aunt, child should definitely be here. There's no question asked. Tell them, go find me what other program is taking place, even half of what we're doing in COVID era. In COVID era. It's a dead place out there. It's dead. Masajid have been telling me after Ramadan, I mean, the only thing they did was Ramadan. After that, zero. Besides Juma, out, out. Quickly, close the doors and move on. That's what's happening. All the programs are virtual. No conferences taking place. In, like large-scale conferences. In th- this is that one year where every single one of us has to ensure that our relatives are here for the conference, for the retreat. And they come in to benefit. 
we have this huge amount of beautiful host of summer intensives and summer programs that are, I was just working on the schedule today. Amazing line of classes that we have never in the past 11 years taught over here. Or 12 years, whatever. Right? In the summer or in the winter. Brand new classes by most amazing scholars. Both online and on-site. A whole different. On-site classes are different from online. They're completely different syllabus, different teachers. Right? And they're all amazing. So, I mean, why do you want, why should we ever, whoever is listening to me online, whoever will listen afterwards, this should be a no-brainer. Say, yeah, we'll have fun on the weekends and we'll do this and that, but we want to make sure that our children all, every single son and daughter of ours is enrolled in these programs and we are enrolled with them as much as we can. So this is what I'm saying is from naming, choosing our name properly to pronouncing the name properly to, to planning out our summer is a lot of work we have. And it all starts off with setting our priorities right. Priority of akhirah over dunya. When that day when you and I decide to do that, everything will come right. Subhanallah. The next section, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Oh, oh sorry, I didn't finish this part. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about adab and alim. A lot of tangents. Alim went from alim and then I went to that whole, mashallah, 10 minute tangent there. So, adab and alim. Painful. So Alim is one na- word that Allah uses in the Quran. Alim, painful. Number two, Allah uses Adabun Muheen. What does Muheen mean? Muheen means disgracing. Meaning there are some kids in this world, or some people rather, you hit them, it doesn't hurt that much. They can handle They got physical ability, strength to be able to handle a lot of, they have a high pain tolerance. What hurts them is when they get emotionally, you know, attacked. When their ego or when their self, their self-esteem, self-respect is attacked. So what the Qur'an says, adab and alim, painful torment. Then the Qur'an says, adab and muheen, that this is a disgraceful torment that will completely reduce and remove any sense of self-respect that you may ever had. Self-esteem, all of it will be, you know, destroyed. A person will be uh, emotionally completely punished. Subhanallah. May Allah protect us. Number three is... That the punishment is huge, is great. Meaning the size of it, the extent of it, the length of it is all great. And lastly, number four, is that adab that the one who is giving it is very harsh and strong. And who is that? That's Allah Azza wa Jalla. Allah said in the Quran, in Surah Al-Fajr, None can punish him the way he does, and none can tie up the ropes the way he does. So four attributes, adabun alim, adabun muheen, adabun alim, and adabun shadeed. These are all speaking about the various different types of the hellfire. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for protection from all of this. The next portion of, uh, we finish one rukur, and we'll start from ayah number nine, which speaks about Allah's blessings upon the sahaba and Rasulullah in his nusra and Allah's help in the battle of ahsab. You're talking about tawakkul? Well, this is how tawakkul takes place. An amazing story, inshallah, will unfold next week. Before we do some dhikr and dua and we conclude today's dars, I want to remind everyone uh, that uh, if you have not, if you're listening online and if you're from out of town, please make sure you book your tickets or make your travel plans to be here on th- on, by Thursday night, inshallah, June 17th. And I'm very happy to announce to you first time that June 18th on Friday when the, when the retreat starts, at Maghrib, we actually just added a whole new section to the program. And it's called the Knowledge or Ilm Retreat, which is more academically orientated, and it will start at Jummah. 
from 1 p.m. till after Maghrib, and we have an amazing lineup of, of scholars giving more classroom-type instruction. So we have Sheikh Amin, we have Mufti bin Hajj, we have uh, Mufti Yasser Nadim, we have Mulana Bilal Ansari, um, we have Mufti Abrar, inshallah, hopefully. So we have uh, Mulana Yusuf Ghoth, a whole bunch of different scholars from different institutions, as well as our own, of course, will be, uh, will, who will be giving an academic discourse from the first Jummah till after Salat al-Maghrib. This is called the Knowledge Retreat. That's going to be taking place first time here before our general retreat which starts after Maghrib. So if you're coming from out of town or you're local, please take your Friday off. If you're coming from out of town, come do i'tikaf here on Thursday night. The masjid will be open. If you're coming with family, book your hotel. Alhamdulillah, we're just so pleased to find out that all the hotels, uh, we have negotiated the rates. Something that's, that sells for 120 is, is you go through the Darussalam website, it's for 65. Like the comfort suites, right? Or the Holiday Inn, or the, you know, all these things. So if you need... Uh, you know, any help in that logistics, please message us, text us, inshallah, we'll, you know, all that stuff is available to accommodate all of you. So come here Thursday night, June 17th, and participate in the Elm Retreat, which starts on Friday at Jummah. For those of you who are listening to me, who have sons and daughters who are maybe interested in the one-year program somewhere down the line, or you as a youngster are yourself thinking that maybe between college or after high school or wherever, you, that you may have a year, a gap year, then before Jummah, from 10 a.m. till Dhuhr, we'll ha- or 10 a.m. to first Jummah, we'll have a program called the Day in the Life of a Darussalam Student, where it'll be like an actual way for you can sit in class, and then we'll have presentation by the students, all the FAQs, you'll be able to meet current students who are graduating that Saturday or that Sunday, and all your questions, logistics, tuition, syllabus, student life, all of those things will be answered, inshallah, so that's going to be 10 a.m. on Friday till uh, Jummah. So I've, I've shared all this information. I expect you, inshallah, to please share this message with your communities. If you are listening from out of state, please ask your local imam to announce it on Jummah. Please ask your local administrator of your masjid to share this flyer, you know, that we have sent out from in their emails in the listserv. Because like I said, there are very few programs in the entire country, if that, that are taking place this year. That will be a source of hopefully rejuvenation the way this program is going to be. Right? Because it's just the COVID. That's what it is. So we have to, if you got something, value it and benefit from it. And locals, please, there's laptops in the lobby. I'll announce it after Isha. I request you to please, please register so that we can have a good head count of how our, our programs are running. Inshallah, I'm going to be visiting in the next couple weekends to different cities. So if you know anyone in those cities, please let them c- come and um, meet me or benefit from one of the programs that we're doing. Uh, Alhamdulillah, we're in Michigan this past weekend. We had a great time in various suburbs of Michigan, mashallah. And this coming weekend, we will be going to, myself and a couple others, we'll be going to Denver, Sacramento, Bay Area, and Seattle. And another, uh, one of our other colleagues, inshallah, will be going to Los Angeles, Phoenix, and Las Vegas. So this is for this weekend. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put barakah in our trips. And allow the whole purpose of it is to invite people for the retreat and invite people to our summer programs and allow them to benefit online on-site. So if you know anyone who's in Denver, Seattle, Sacramento or Bay Area, or Los Angeles, Las Vegas, or Phoenix, please connect with me or connect with Dawah Salaam, inshallah, we can share with you the programs that are taking place in those uh, various cities. I don't know how much time we have for the dhikr. Okay, just a couple, a minute of dhikr, and then we'll conclude the dua. La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. La ilaha illallah, 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 la ilaha illallah. 
محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الله 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 محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم صلى الله على محمد 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 صلى الله عليه وسلم استغفر الله 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 الذي لا اله الا هو الحي القيوم واتوب اليه اللهم انت السلام لك السلام وبارك في هذا الجلال والكرام اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لا نحصي اثنان عليك انت كما اثنيت على نفسك اله العالمين اللهم صل وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد بارك وسلم اللهم اشفنا واشف مرضانا ومرضى المسلمين وارحم موتانا وموت المسلمين وانصر المستضعفين من المسلمين في كل مكان اللهم ربنا تقبل منا انك انت السميع العليم وتب علينا انك انت التواب الرحيم اللهم اغفر لنا ولوالدينا ولاساتذتنا ولمشايخنا ولمن حقه علينا ولمن اوصانا بالدعاء اللهم استخدمنا لدينك واستعمل ابداننا بطاعتك الله ويعسرك سب share today. Allah, make it a means of us getting closer to you. Make it a proof for us and not against us. Allow us to embody the teachings that were shared. Oh Allah, allow us to Allah, improve on what mis- mistakes we have in our life. Allow us to rectify our own selves. Allow us to be able to see our faults and allow us to make an, a, a, a proper effort in rectification of ourselves. Oh Allah, grant all of us ikhlas and sincerity in every aspect of our life. Grant us the akhlaq of Rasulullah. Grant us the fikr of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Oh Allah, make, grant us the, the ability to give tarbiyah to our children. Oh Allah, protect our generations from sin and, and, and falling into disobedience. Oh Allah, allow this upcoming retreat to become a means of hidayah for hundreds and thousands of people across the globe. Allow it to become a means of people getting connected to you and to your houses. Oh Allah, allow it to become the means of them falling in love with the Prophet Wasallam. Oh Allah, allow it to become a means of them becoming students of knowledge. Oh Allah, allow it to become a means of them valuing the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa Oh Allah, all efforts that are being made for it of the, on behalf of the volunteers, teachers and males and females, students, oh Allah, we ask you to grant immense acceptance to them and put effect in them, put effect in all these efforts, ya Allah. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon. Wassalamun ala mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar 
أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله استوى تدلو الله أكبر 
الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين والشمس وضحاها والقمر إذا تلاها والنهار إذا جلاها والليل إذا يغشاها والسماء وما بناها والأرض وما طحاها ونفس وما سواها فألهمها فجورها وتقواها قد أفلح من زكاها وقد خاب من دساها كذبت ثمود بطغواها إذ انبعث أشقاها فقال لهم رسول الله ناقة الله وسقياها فكذبوه فعقروها فدمدم عليهم فدمدم عليهم ربهم بذنبهم فسواها ولا يخاف عقباها الله سمع الله لمن حمدا الله أكبر الله أكبر الله الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين والليل إذا يغشى والنهار إذا تجلى وما خلق الذكر والأنثى إن سعيكم لشتى فأما من أعطى واتقى وصدق بالحسنى فسنيسره لليسرى وأما من بخل واستغنى وكذب بالحسنى فسنيسره للعسرى وما يغني عنه ماله إذا تردى إن علينا للهدى وإن لنا للآخرة والأولى فأنذرتكم نارا تلظى لا يصلاها إلا الأشقى الذي كذب وتولى وسيجنبها الأتقى 
الذي يؤتي ما له يتزكى وما لأحد عنده من نعمة تجزى إلا ابتغاء وجه ربه الأعلى ولسوف يرضى الله سمع الله لمن حميده الله أكبر الله الله أكبر الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حميده الله الله سمع الله لمن حميده السلام عليكم ورحمة الله 
mentioned yesterday as well that we've set up some laptops in the lobby the brothers the local brothers are requested to inshallah uh, register for the retreat inshallah with their whole families and so that we can make an effort every day eventually in the next week or so we can have our entire uh, regulars registered so that proper accommodations can be made during the annual retreat so there's three laptops there it won't take more than a minute inshallah it's for free we just want to make sure we have everyone accounted for jazakumullah khairah for your cooperation